0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Train. A high-performing business takes a high-performing building. Reach organizational goals while enhancing systems and reducing emissions with Train Energy Services. Explore their consultative approach at train.com slash energy services. A warning before
2: we begin. This podcast is explicit in every way.
3: December 16th, 2014. An overcast evening in New York City. And Shy Money XL, he's feeling good. The hip-hop vet and executive VP at Epic Records has just come in from L.A. and he's headed to Quad Studios in midtown Manhattan to meet one of his protégés. 20-year-old rapper Bobby Shmurda.
2: Shah hasn't felt this excited about an artist since he helped develop 50 Cent and turn him into a household name. But that was over a decade ago.
4: I was in the midst of just trying to find stars and there was nothing I could see that was going on in New York that I could find.
3: Yeah, nothing going on in New York. Until he heard Bobby Shmurda's song, High Boy. It stole the summer and turned the kid from Brooklyn with his shmoney dance and his disappearing hat trick into an internet sensation.
4: When I seen Bobby, man, I was like, that's New York right there. That's, this is what I'm looking for. So it felt great. It felt
3: great. The shot's bit is already paying off. Hot Boy just went platinum. And now the pressure is on to prove Bobby's not just a one-hit wonder, but a real star. Sha shows up at Quad Studios to check on the progress of Bobby's debut
4: album. When I walked in, about 17 people, 15 to 17. It's crowded. (laughs) All the crew. So at least 15 handshakes before I get to Bobby.
2: (laughs) 15 handshakes. That's because the way Bobby moves, he doesn't go anywhere without his crew. GS9. They're all from the same block in East Flatbush, and they've known each other forever. Some of them even co-write Bobby's songs. And there's video footage of GS9 taking over Quad.
3: That night, Bobby and GS9, man, they're in full celebration mode. And six months earlier, these same cats were working corners in the grimy streets of Brooklyn. Now, they're in the heart of Manhattan, recording music.
2: And this studio is nice. City views, a pool table, bottles, and blunt smoke. <laughs>
0: okay. Yo, we need some liquor, man. I was gonna bring
2: some. Bobby's happy to see Sha.
4: He's playing music, he's excited. He's letting me hear shit I didn't hear. Let me hear shit he finished. He's excited. Yo, you gotta listen to this one. Yo, play that for Sha. Walk
5: up in this dish, don't see no G code, colour the
2: Later that night, Bobby bounces. Shaw and the rest of the crew continue recording. The mood is light, and it's getting past midnight. you
6: the best. I
5: love you,
2: man. Guys are shooting pool, laughing.
3: Then, out of nowhere.
4: <laughs> One of the little homies running. Yo, they just rested such and such downstairs. He just left. He tried to leave the building. They chased him. Yo, look, look, look. And then you see a whole bus, a bus, a police bus pull up on the side street. Yo, look at this bus. You see nothing but police coming off this bus, like an army, an army of them coming off this bus. Like, yo, what the fuck is going on, yo? What the fuck is going on?
2: Quad Studios was being raided. That night, police arrest 15 members of GS9, including Bobby, and they seize 10 guns. This is a major bust. Bobby is charged with a whole host of crimes, including conspiracy to commit murder. The arrest is part of an effort to get rid of New York gangs, but in this case, the gang was made up of up-and-coming rappers. And the prosecutors, they're painting Bobby as their leader.
3: So who exactly is Bobby Shmurda? It all depends on who you ask. I think the way we characterized him was a driving force.
0: He's a
7: special child, but he's my baby. He was an easy target for
8: law enforcement.
0: He a real entertainer. That's how he been.
8: Mindless thugs who have uh, no conception of value of life, no conception of morals.
2: There's a few different ways to interpret what happened that night at Quad Studios. Some people see it this way. Bobby was a young talent, trying to use his music to escape the problems in his hood.
3: To others, Bobby and GS9 are examples of the music industry profiting off the worst stereotypes of black men.
2: But let's look at the bigger picture.
3: America's always loved an outlaw. And Bobby, man, he's just one rap star whose fame led to infamy. But here's the darker reality. In this country, the people police the hardest look a lot like Bobby. And they come from communities like the one he came from. Places where gangs replace broken families. Where teenagers quit school to chase dope boy dreams. Where almost everybody learns not to trust the police.
2: For a small percentage, rap can be a way out. And the music industry is notorious for buying in. But artists have to walk a tightrope to transition from the streets to superstardom. Where Bobby Shmurda might land, it's still up in the air, just like his New York Knicks hat. For now, he's stuck in a prison cell in upstate New York, not sure if his career is over or just on pause.
6: When you get locked up, all the rap shit go out the window. Right now, I'm in jail, and I'm just trying to get home. I'm thinking about my freedom.
3: I'm Rodney Carmichael.
2: I'm Cindy Madden.
3: And this is Louder Than a Riot
2: where we trace the collision of rhyme and punishment in America. Over the next three episodes, we're going to tell the story of Bobby Shmurda, his rise, his fall, and the price he paid for the bonds of brotherhood.
1: Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit sattva.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous
0: people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions.
1: Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. It tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism, immersive and intimate stories.
5: I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here.
1: Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.
4: My story with Bobby begins uh, with a, a phone call. In
3: 2014, Shaw Money XL is at Epic Records working as head of A&R. That's the department responsible for scouting and grooming new talent. One day out of the blue, another AR guy hits him up. And uh, he was like, yo, Sha,
4: I need you to check your email right now. I just sent you some shit. There's some Jamaican, Haitian kids in Brooklyn doing some shit that you need to know about. And I know you know what to do with this. And I put my headphones on. I started watching the video.
7: Yellow Beats, uh, holler uh, at me.
5: And you and some hot nigga.
4: And that shit was just blew me away on sight, yo. As soon as I seen it, I was like, yo, this shit is crazy, yo.
2: That video shot was watching. It was just Bobby and his crew. They got together and shot it super low budget. Matter of fact, it was no budget. On the surface, it's just them mobbing on a Brooklyn street corner, having fun. It's super catchy and playful. And unless you really listen close, you might totally miss the fact that they're rapping about selling crack, repping their set, even taking down their rivals.
3: Yeah, but as menacing as they're trying to be, Bobby's got this baby face that almost makes it hard to believe he's anything close to gangster.
5: Mm
2: hmm. But that's the beauty of hip hop, right? The dichotomy of repping two things at once. The party music and the personal street diaries. That's what made Bobby and GS9 so alluring.
3: Yeah, but you can't sleep on that dance now.
2: <laughs> You're right. The real magic of the video is the dance. It's the shmoney dance. Bobby tosses his hat in the air and starts dancing.
5: <laughs>
2: Doing this hip hop, knee jerk back and forth for a few seconds, looking like a drunk uncle at the barbecue.
3: Yeah, but what happened to that hat though?
2: Yo, the hat. (laughs) It happens right near the end of the video. Bobby just casually flips the lid of his New York Knicks fitted straight up into the air. It disappears out of the camera frame and it never falls down.
3: At the time, Sha says Bobby's video only had maybe a few thousand views, but he could already sense this buzz building. So it's good, told him to act.
4: And once I heard it, seen it, seen the dance, seen the energy, I just knew that kid was a star and I said, I just need to meet him. But it's not like Shaw Money was new to this.
2: Nah, not at all. Shaw's an OG. And he'd seen that type of gritty New York energy before. And you know what? He'd helped nurture it before too.
3: Yeah, a decade before Bobby, Shaw helped 50 Cent recover after being shot nine times and made him the biggest villain in rap.
2: Hmm. But in 2014, New York hip-hop? It wasn't popping off like that.
4: New York hip-hop was terrible. It was a bunch of average people trying to do it. Nobody outstanding. Nobody exceptional.
3: Yeah, man. By the 2010s, the epicenter of rap had definitely shifted to the South. And the birthplace of hip-hop? It was pretty much closer than last place. But shy. He wanted to bring that crown back home. I'm a New Yorker,
4: born and raised. You know what I mean? My journey started in Brooklyn, going to Queens, and kept going from there. So to see the energy coming from my city, seeing Brooklyn, seeing the hood, seeing them, hearing the song, hearing the shit he was talking about. And then all of a sudden, Tad goes off to dance. Oh, this kid is a star, man. He had the, the rhythm and the whole thing, man. The voice, the performance. It was all there.
3: Yeah, it was all there, especially Bobby's street cred. Shaw didn't know exactly what Bobby's crew was into, but at the same time, it's not like he was asking.
4: I know in hip-hop, the better the better. I'm not no uh, human resource department. I'm not a social worker. I don't ask people from the hood if they got criminal activity going on or priors. I don't ask these questions i just seen what I was doing, and i seen a future that was good for this kid. So on the one hand,
3: Shaw saw Bobby was deep in the streets, and he knew that would sell some records.
2: But on the other hand, he sincerely wanted to give Bobby a better opportunity than the streets.
3: Yeah, because Shaw and Bobby, they had a lot in common. They're both products of the hood, they both got that hustle mentality, and they both see music as a way out. When Shaw was 17, he dealt drugs for a stint, trying to come up on a drum machine. But he ended up getting busted instead. And later, he met Jam Master Jay, who introduced him to 50, and gave both of them an opportunity to get into the business. Music
4: took me out of this shit. And what I did was try to find all the people that were talented like me to take them out of this shit. That's what music is for us.
5: Yo, welcome hey, to fucking 90s, man. What's up, what's up? Welcome to the hard nine. Welcome to the block.
2: This is where Bobby's from. East Flatbush. We first visited in the summer of 2018 and grabbed some fried shrimp at a takeout spot, co-owned by Bobby's mom. It's called Spunky Fish and Things. Can we get the shrimp with Spunky fries? Baby. Best thing in New York.
3: Mmm. These fries are spunky.
2: There's soca music blaring from corner stores. The smell of smoke pits outside jerk joints. School kids in uniforms running off the two train. This neighborhood has been full of Caribbean immigrants for decades.
3: Yeah, but it's not the easiest place to grow up. On average, the incarceration rate in these Flatbush is 33% higher than the city as a whole.
2: And nearly 40% of households are led by single mothers.
7: You know, the thing about what single mothers is, when a father's absent, you tend to go extra to give them what they want.
2: That's Bobby's mom, Leslie. And throughout our conversation, she calls Bobby by the name she gave him, Akil. She grew up in the same part of Brooklyn where she raised her boys.
7: You know, I was young. I made really good money. You know, we traveled a lot. I gave them anything they want. They, I doesn't really know that, you know, it's wrong for me to do it, but he doesn't understand what no means. And that's a, a lot for him. He's used to getting anything he wants. I'm always catering to them. Even while she's talking to us, she pauses
2: every few minutes to answer a call.
7: Akil. hello? Your dad is on the phone.
2: It's usually her sons or their dad. And she plays operator to connect them all over three way call. Like any strong matriarch, she's the glue of the family.
7: Anyways, listen, I got an interview going on. I'm going I'm to I'm put y'all on mute.
3: Hey, Bobby was just a baby when his father was sentenced to life in prison down in Florida. And by the time we visited the neighborhood, Bobby and his older brother Gervais were both in prison, too. That's every male member of his nuclear family serving time.
2: Leslie says Bobby was a handful growing up. He acted out in school,
7: and that's when he even bothered to go. I always had to leave work to run down to the school to come get him. Mm-hmm. It was like every other day, always running around behind Akil. kill is something else.
3: Yeah, and right now, Akil is somewhere else, as in 300 miles away from his mom and the rest of his friends and family, which makes all those three-way phone calls even more crucial.
6: They always been supportive of me. No matter what I did, no matter bunch of jail, or anything, they always supported me.
2: When we meet Bobby in person for our interview in 2018, it's at Clinton Correctional Facility up in Danamora, New York. You
4: guys ready for him? Yeah. Yes.
2: Bobby's only done a handful of interviews since he's been locked up, and most of them have been over the phone. But we sit with Bobby face to face. And we talk about growing up in East Flatbush.
6: Brooklyn. <laughs> well, it make you hustle. hustler. I remember I used to sell waters on the corner at nine years old.
7: If I would give them $5 a day, Jamais would take his $5, go buy Chinese food. A kid would take his $5, go to Rite Aid, and get a case of water and sell it for $24. That's how he was always a hustler like that, yeah. That's really
5: smart.
3: I know, right? But Bobby wasn't satisfied just selling waters. I mean, peep this line from Hot Boy.
5: Up my tripod have been selling crack since like the fifth grade. Really never made no difference with the shit made. Judge told me flip them packs and how to maintain.
3: Now, like we've already said, you can't take everything you hear in rap literally. Right. But the thing about that line, I've been selling crack since the fifth grade, is Bobby says it's true. Where I was from,
6: it was like an empire. You just crack is everywhere.
2: And Bobby wanted a piece of that empire. What made you want to sell crack out of everything?
6: was fast money, like... It was fast money. I, I wasn't even rob, robbing people. I wasn't even robbing people like that. All that running, sweating, and all that other crazy shit. I, was, mm. I wasn't into that.
3: Man, see, this is so important because it really shows you what Bobby felt like his options were limited to growing up in East Flatbush. That fast money, it had a price, though. He remembers the first time he got hemmed up by the police at age 12. it came
6: in a tiny store and he pulled my pants down all the way to my ankles and stripped me like halfway butt naked. They found like a piece of crack. They locked me up. Ever since that day, every time they see me, they just run down them.
3: Yeah, and Bobby, man, he has a lot of early memories like this. He even told us a story about the cops planting a gun on him once. The same cops that been locked me up since 11. It's like this big African motherfucker, same cop.
6: Um, they they rushed the house, they had no warrant. They came in, they found a gun on the couch and a clip in the couch. They took it out, put the clip in, cocked It said, it's going on you. I'm like, me?
2: They just pointed to you in and said it.
6: Yeah, but remember, I know these guys. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So my girlfriend started going crazy at the time the girl was talking to. He told everybody, shut up. He let them go through the side door in the precinct. And they locked me and my own codeine
2: Police would later report it happened this way. After neighbors complained, officers knocked on the door. And when it was opened... They could clearly see Bobby, quote, showing a loaded automatic pistol to someone else. Now, we weren't able to verify either versions of this story, but the experiences Bobby said he's had with the police overall, they're not unique.
3: East Flatbush falls under the jurisdiction of the NYPD 67th precinct. And that precinct, it has its own track record, as Bobby told us, of not going by the rules.
2: Yeah, allegations of corruption at the 67th are well-documented, right around the time that Bobby was coming up. The Brooklyn TA looked into at least six different cases that happened between 08 and 2014, where cops were suspected of planting guns at crime scenes and on suspects. These cases typically had a few things in common, the same officers, a lack of forensic evidence, and some super sketchy informants.
3: Yeah, but peep this. In 2016, the Village Voice reported that the D.A. and the NYPD quietly concluded their investigations. Apparently, there was no misconduct found, and those suspected officers, they remained on the force.
2: Now it's clear that once pre-team Bobby was on the cops' radar, he was likely to stay there.
3: But while the cops of his neighborhood saw Bobby as a potential menace, man, those folks who knew him best, they saw he had real star potential.
7: Akil like has it. He has it. Like, if we all go to a party, if someone else at the party he feels like could dance, kill would literally dance until he passes out, until they take him out on the stretcher because he's not going to lose. The only
2: thing missing was an outlet for that talent. That's where his crew comes in.
3: Yeah, because a lot of raw talent can get buried early in a place like East Flatbush. Unless you got the ingenuity to go with it.
2: After Bobby came home from his stint at juvenile detention at 17, he noticed his crew was getting into something new. They were getting into music.
6: They was rapping. We used to be on the block. we smoked smoke your high, start playing around rapping. And everybody kept telling me, like, yo, Bobby, go to the studio. I'm like, I'm getting money. I don't want to go to the studio. They would abduct me. i go with them for a little End <laughs> up making a couple songs and i leave.
2: So it's no secret that Bobby sort of owes his success to his crew. If they hadn't dragged him into the studio, he might have never become what he did.
3: Yes, yeah, Bobby tells us this new music collective, it needed a name. So the crew called themselves GS9. A nod to their neighborhood set the G-Stone Crips and the fact that they came from the 90s blocks of East Flatbush, Brooklyn. Now, street crews and syndicates have always been synonymous with rap. From Eric B. and Rakim's connections to the paid and pool posse to young Jeezy's ties to BMF. I mean, it's a calling card that helps a new street artist establish, you know, a certain kind of street cred.
2: Yeah, and you know, aha uh-huh hot boy. Bobby introduces us to the whole GS9.
5: I mean, that's
3: basically a GS9 roll call, right? We got Rasha, A-Rod, Mishi.
5: All
2: the shmurdas and the shmunnies.
3: Yeah, the nicknames they created for themselves, the bond that made them family. They're not my friends, my brothers, you know what I'm saying? That's they all
6: I know for kids, you I'm saying? We done jumped in front of guns for each other, all types of shit. Like That's just how we grew up, you know what I'm saying? One of us go, we all go. That was just how it was.
3: Yeah, and jumping in front of guns, I mean, that was just an everyday environmental hazard for Bobby and his homies. Especially when beef with other neighborhood crews was so unavoidable. Don't the 90s have a history of, like, beefing with the 50s and vice versa and all that? I mean, we had a history of a beef with a lot of people. That's Bobby's older brother, Gervase, also known as Fame. Now, on our second trip to Brooklyn, Fame was fresh out of prison. And he was showing us around the neighborhood, along with Rowdy Rebel's younger brother, Fetty Luciano, and about a half dozen other guys in their crew. We stopped in the middle of the street. As the guy started passing around a bottle and, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, some styrofoam cups. <laughs> what you sipping on?
0: Henny. We're sipping Henny. on what Hennessy. You want? You want some Henny? I'm good. I heard <laughs> it. For cocaine, we pour out Henny. That's, that's what we sip that's on. It. Yeah, that's that's it. Pour that's it. That's the ritual here. right
3: here.
2: Like Fame said, for cocaine, they pour out Henny. But he's talking about a guy named Tyree Gary, better known around the way as Shisty Cocaine, the former leader of the G-Stone Crips. Some street beasts in New York go back years. For the G-Stone Crips and Brooklyn's Most Wanted, a.k.a. BMW, one of the things that beef can be traced back to is Shiesty Cocaine.
3: Yeah, Shiesty, he was murdered in 2011, shot along with three other people during a Labor Day cookout in Brooklyn. The word on the street is he was hit by a member of BMW. He was just 18 years old when he died.
2: Bobby, Fetty, and Fame were just kids when Shiesty got killed. And GS9 didn't really officially exist yet at least not as a record label.
3: But that didn't stop him from becoming soldiers in what would become a years-long battle between the G-Stone Crips in the 90s blocks and BMW in the 50s. I asked Fame and Fetty about it. How how has the neighborhood changed since... What's changed? How did it change when Shiesty died? It changed dramatically. Like, we
0: was real young, so that opened up our so eyes, that, you know? like, I put a big dent in, like, in the neighborhood. Like, yeah. he bunk. he's the person yeah, that broke all of love. everybody together. Yeah, yeah, especially in this neighborhood, we got a lot of love for each other. So when we lose one... It's, it's Spe- especially like, him. We ain't really know how
3: to deal with it. So he was, like, a galvanizing force in terms of yeah. everybody. The heart of the yeah, that's the
0: a hot. That's Captain right there. That's a captain. Like, we ain't never let his name die never. out. Never. 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 People usually lose a friend and then two or three years later, they forget about him.
3: Yeah, but not GS9. To honor Shiesty, fame says they started
0: going a positive way with it. Start making music and shit.
3: Yeah, Shiesty's death, it's inspired all kinds of musical tributes. Take Rowdy Revel's song, Shiesty Time. This said
0: crazy after Shiesty died. died. Look around, bitch, it's Shiesty time. It's Shiesty time. But Shiesty ain't dead, he just went to Vegas. With his 45 and a couple Haitians.
3: And the street beef only got gassed up even more the bigger they became. So, the success that was starting to happen, how did that change y'all's relationship with rivals and stuff like that?
0: I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's just a lot of hate. Period. A lot of hate. Like when people see you make it to the top, they try to drag you back down. Crabs in a barrel. You know, we all from we all from the 90s, but yeah. it's a part, it's one part of the nine where we just. Which is grimy, like yeah, the grimy side. See, from the, from the, it's just the grimy side of This is the grimy side of this of this neighborhood, like. But you can't, really, you don't come across this neighborhood and think you on disrespect and not give it no, no retaliation. Mm. Uh, oh, especially from the gun squad. <laughs> especially from the gun squad. <laughs> that's that, 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 that's just how we felt. Okay. You know what I'm saying, GS9, gun squad.
3: Gun squad, grimy shooters, God sons. Yeah, GS9. It stands for a lot of things, but gang. That's the label they say they've been branded with.
6: We don't look, we don't call ourselves no gang members. Like, that's my shmoney, that's my shmurder, that's the brody, that's my hop. Like, we a family. I mean, like, we GS9, we a family, we a motive.
3: So when when, when you all were repping GS9 early on, say, like, in the video, like, yeah. publicly, yeah. were y'all repping it in terms of the neighborhood and the gang, or was it more so trying to... Were well, y'all trying to use GS9 as a way to legitimize We, do we the music? We, did, we
0: was doing it as both. Because okay. GS9 is a record label. We have GS9 records. That's Bobby. But we was using it as both because that's, that's us. Like That's where we from. Anybody that know us, they know us as GS9. Yeah.
3: For GS9, it was only natural that what was happening in their hood would bleed through in the music.
0: Songs like
2: Hot Boy did double duty. A party starter and a warning shot putting ops on notice. So they shoot a video for Hot Boy for $300, and they throw it up on YouTube in March 2014. It started catching on, and within a few months, it goes viral. The internet ate it up, especially the part where Bobby throws his New York Knicks fitted up in the air, and it never comes down.
3: The
5: hat went to outer space, honestly.
2: (laughs) That's Fetty Films, director of the Hot Boy video. Telling us about the moment that launched Bobby's online fame.
6: It was weird because when I was editing it, I realized that the hat disappeared. I said it didn't look right, but then I was like, you know what, it's, it looked weird. I don't know, I'm just going to keep it. And then the people liked
3: it. Yeah, man, that disappearing hat, it became a thing, a legend. Memed all over the web.
2: Pretty soon, Bobby was internet- and hood famous.
6: One day we on the block on 95th said and I will never forget this. I was going to make a sale, and I seen a car pull up on me, and it was like a bunch of girls around my age, and they started screaming, and, ah. and they was pointing at me. They like, do the dance, do the dance. Then after a while, Everywhere I went, people was just going crazy. Like, oh, I need pictures, this and that, this and that. So I, I said, I'll probably make some money off
3: of this. Yeah, and Shy Money, who was plotting from his office at Epic Records, he had the exact same idea.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln?
8: Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. uh, But the truth is, no, I just thought
1: of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
7: Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.
3: With NPR+, Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator.
7: It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with
5: NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org.
1: Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
7: What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. NPR's How I Built This, listen now.
3: When the Hot Boy video was blowing up in the summer of 2014, Sha knew he had to sign Bobby before another label snatched him up. So he sets up a meeting to have Bobby Audition for his boss, L.A. Reid, who was the CEO of Epic Records at the time.
4: I need to do the whole setup where, you know, you come in, perform for L.A., the whole staff is there, you know, he makes a movie out of it, L.A., you know, he likes it a certain way, so it's, it's all set, the whole staff is there, it was crowded. This audition
2: scene, it low-key becomes almost as famous as the Hot Boy video itself, It takes place inside a boardroom at Epic's Manhattan headquarters. Now, in reality, it's not that far from the Brooklyn Street Corners where Bobby started. But when you think about it, it's a world away.
4: Bobby comes in, the whole GS9, his Uncle Debo, all of them. And you see it on the video, man. That boy gave a performance like this is his last chance to do anything in life. And he
3: killed it, man. Yeah, but this video also raised a lot of eyebrows at the time. I mean, here you have a black man dancing on a table and shooting finger guns. In a boardroom filled with mostly white faces. Some smiling, some wearing these frozen expressions like they're not really sure how to react.
2: Mm-hmm. And if you look real close, Rodney, you can see L.A. Reed sipping from a teacup while Bobby's up there losing his mind.
5: But Bobby with that twine,
2: Bobby's energy and charisma, they're on full display. At the end of the video, they give him a nice respectful golf clap. Which, again, shows you how far out of his element he's come.
4: From the time he performed till 1159, his lawyer and Epic lawyers banged out the deal and we got it done the same day.
3: Yes, I made sure Bobby didn't leave the building until they hashed
4: out a contract.
2: Then it was time to celebrate.
4: We celebrate, we smoke more, we champagne more, we even violate the Sony laws and just light up the whole room, man. We make a movie in there, man. We chilling now. The check is coming. You're a millionaire, baby. 19 years old, baby. Come on, man, what more can you ask for, man? (laughs) Shaw was hype. Shaw was hype.
3: Now the next step, Shaw needed Bobby to get to the studio and record some hits. So now he's
4: like four songs in on his whole life. And I'm making the fifth one with him. So this guy is really like a brand new talent that was exceptional on site.
2: The next few months are critical for Bobby. Newly signed, booked, and busy. He sees the opportunity, not just for himself, but for the whole GS9 to make a shift from the streets to the industry.
6: After I seen money coming in, I said, right, we can capitalize off this. We can also get out the hood and stuff like We got to be worrying about dirty-ass cops in the hood doing shit to us. Yeah you know I mean I just try to get everybody out as fast as I could.
2: After signing in July, Bobby was everywhere.
6: Smurda, what up, son?
2: In September, the official Hot Boy remix dropped, with features from Jada Kiss, Fabulous, Chris Brown, and Busta Rhymes.
5: I that when she came
2: now Rodney, you know hip-hop is competitive as hell.
3: Ain't no doubt.
2: But at this moment, it felt like everybody was kind of taking Bobby under their wings. And that's something you don't see too often.
4: Now he's just in the life, right? So it's just moving. So he has a calendar. Now, if he's not in New York recording, he's on the road. If he's not on the road, he's doing something that's just for his career. He wasn't sitting still.
2: He was on Jimmy Fallon. Please welcome Bobby. Shrek the BET Awards, Drake even brought him out on stage. I was
6: everywhere, LA, Texas, Vegas, New Orleans, Miami, Atlanta, everywhere.
2: The key to cementing a hit is really keeping up the momentum. And for Bobby, it seemed
3: unstoppable. Yeah, it looked like Bobby was starting to put some distance between himself and the streets, too. But at the same time, he was bringing the streets with him. His entourage was his crew, and his crew was his security. In other words, his homeboys were strapped.
4: So now, while things are starting to heat up, if he's at Jimmy Fallon, he's walking in, and he's seeing a police that he sees in Brooklyn from his neighborhood, but he's in New York. And he's looking at him, and they're like, oh, that's the police from the hood. But not putting like, yo, them
3: niggas is watching, y'all. So the cops who knew Bobby from New York, they're following this cat out of state, on tour, everywhere. Now, Shah, he really respected Bobby's loyalty to
4: GS9. He was really trying to form a business for himself and his crew and let his crew get in as well. And he provided that opportunity. And I, I just seen a young kid that had his head on
3: right. But as time went on... He saw that GS9 was attracting way too much attention from the police. So he thought a change of scenery might help Bobby focus. And I was on him like, yo, we're going to record in L.A. It's life,
4: space, car, pull up, smoke, chill.
2: It all sounded good, but it didn't work.
4: He wasn't on it like I was on it. He came, and it was so hard even when he was there to get him in the studio. So it was just like, yo, bro, leave the fucking house. Let's go. It just didn't work. But when we got back to New York, he worked. So I had to, I'm back in
3: New York working. That was the routine.
2: Bobby Mits at the time he didn't get it.
3: Yeah, and this wasn't the first time that people around Bobby had really tried to keep him on track. About a week before Bobby signed the epic, his uncle, who goes by Debo, he called a meeting in East Flatbush. Now, this is behind the same studio where they recorded. He wanted to convince GS9 that if they really wanted to help Bobby, they needed to back off. Because the heat they were drawing, it was going to kill his career before it even got started. Now, he really tried to come in and, like, Debo the situation, you know? Like, be the enforcer?
2: Yeah, but that didn't really work out how he planned. Bobby didn't want to be baby.
3: I had a listening
6: problem when I was young. I listen to what I want to listen to. Not the mommy and uncle telling me this and that. Like, I'll, if you told me the stove was hot, I want to find out for myself how hot it is.
2: There was even somebody who Bobby looked up to and who knew about his reputation, who tried to give him game about making that switch from the block to the business.
8: One day I, I saw Bobby at, um, at Hot 97. And he said, Mano, you don't even remember where you know me from.
2: Bobby grew up on Mano's sound from watching those smack DVDs that launched Maino's career. So when he saw him at Hot 97, it felt like a full circle moment for the both of them.
8: And I said, oh my God. And I remembered, it, I used to pull up to a block in, in Flatbush, and it would always be like these, these young kids on a block. And he would be like, yo, what up, Maino? And I would stop and talk to them. And that was Bobby Shmurda. I couldn't believe it.
2: Now, Mano and Bobby have a lot in common. Brooklyn born and raised, major run-ins with the law. But Mano, he's been there, done that. And he wanted to help Bobby avoid the same drama.
8: He was in the street longer than he was famous. So, I I understand. I get it. I understand. It is it is what it is. I tried to, um uh, give him as much advice as I could, you know, um about the journey, because music is supposed to be a way out for us.
2: Even if New York was a bad element in some ways, it was Bobby's element. His neighborhood is what inspired his music, and his music is what attracted the industry to him in the first place, you know?
3: Yeah, but it was all about to come to a head.
7: It's Been a Minute is a culture show you don't want to miss. Every week, we help you see the culture angle behind the headlines, the forces behind the trends, and the thinkers behind the next big thing. Tune in for the sharp cultural analysis and captivating interviews. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday.
3: Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is
6: nothing new. On the Code Switch Podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep.
3: Listen now.
2: On the night of December 16th, 2014...
3: Where we began this story.
2: Shaw flies in from L.A. for an Epic Records Christmas party, and he decides to surprise Bobby at Quad Studios. They're working on songs for Bobby's debut album.
5: Living right, living life.
3: Yeah, and everybody in the studio is in full celebration mode. Spirits are lifted, blunts are lit, bottles are flowing. Now remember, Shaw had a plan for Bobby. Brand his outlaw image and connection to the streets.
2: But he also wanted to lift him out of the hood. Set him on the right path.
3: Now he's already nailed the first part, because Bobby's selling records. But as for him being on the right path, Shaw wasn't so sure. So he kept trying to stress how careful Bobby needed to be. He wanted him to keep his hands clean of any illegal activity.
4: I'm going through this with you, and I'm trying to help you. So I'm going to tell you some shit you don't want to hear, but it's for your better in the long run.
2: And as it gets later, Bobby's ready to leave the studio. Shaw walks Bobby down to his car. It's a rare chance for them to be alone.
3: On the elevator ride down, Shaw's trying to explain to Bobby that being in New York, it really isn't the best thing for him right now. And it's not just Shaw who thinks that.
4: The elevator open... It's Buster Rhymes. And in that little short moment, he said one thing to me and Bobby, and it was right in sync with what I was telling Bobby to just chill out, right? Just, you, you need to, this is too much right
3: now.
2: That's crazy, right?
3: Yeah, even Buster Rhymes knows about Bobby and GS9's reputation. It just shows how much the streets were talking. And the industry, too. Shaw walks Bobby to the front door. Say, so, yo, peace out, bro. Be safe. Bobby gets in the car, and heads out. Shaw heads back up to the studio, but he has no idea what's about to happen. Next thing you know, NYPD is swarming the building. Like, yo, what the fuck is going on, yo? What
4: the fuck is going on? Now, the buzz is buzzing. The studio's like, yo, it's the police trying to get up here. Don't let them up. Don't let them up. So now everybody's panicking. Fire department come, they got the key. While we're looking at the camera, you hear the fucking elevator door open. Bing! It's a cop, a detective, with a gun fully drawn, pointed literally three feet from my head. Then he tells me get on the ground and put my feet and my hands in the air. Yo, I don't even know how to do that. You niggas hiding behind fucking consoles, hiding in the ceiling. Everybody was scared. People's thinking about their parole. Just if they get arrested, they are
3: going to get violated. The police spend all night searching the studio.
2: And they finally find the last guy around 7 a.m.
3: The police also find multiple weapons in the studio. And at a certain point, they make another discovery. They've got the Shy Money XL of epic records handcuffed on the floor.
4: This guy says, so, you're the guy that signed Bobby Shmurda? I said, yeah, why, what's up? He has an MCM bag and he puts it on a pool table. What if I make all of these guns yours so you can go to jail and not have to sign no more of these motherfuckers? Because you signing them and you're letting them buy these guns and they're going back in
3: their neighborhoods and they're shooting people. So you're the problem. Now, this is a big realization for Shaw. I mean, the whole time he's been trying to steer Bobby in the right direction and the cops saw him It's part of the problem, too. It's like they were blaming Shaw and really the whole industry for every trigger GS9 might have pulled.
2: Yeah, I mean, people have accused the music industry of glorifying gangs and violence before. But here's a cop literally telling Shaw that the money he put into GS9 was used to hurt
4: people. Now he's like, we already got Bobby. And they had such and such amount of weapons in that car. So now we got this many right here. We're going to find more. So just get ready to say goodbye to your investment.
3: Bobby Schmurter, Epic's million-dollar investment, behind bars. Bobby, what do you have to say to your fans? Bobby, anything? As the sun comes up, the cops, they let Shaw go. But they got who they came for. Almost everybody else from GS9. They did it in a way where no one
4: was getting away. And they knew that this they were coming for not just Bobby, they wanted the whole crew. And they got the whole crew.
2: Leslie was at home when she got a call that Bobby had been pulled over after leaving the studio and had been arrested. She jumped out of bed and she went to go meet her sons at the precinct. She waited hours for police to tell her anything. And through all that confusion, she finally
7: found Gervais. I looked at the race. I'm like, what's going on? He had his head down. He just, like didn't want to answer me. So he was like, indictment. I'm like, oh God. I just, I couldn't even, I can't even describe to you the feeling I had when they said that.
2: The NYPD calls a press conference just hours after the raid. Police Commissioner Bill Bratton takes the podium next to a table full of guns they confiscated from GS9.
8: These gang members have shown no respect for the lives of citizens in the Brooklyn neighborhoods where they wreaked havoc. But working together with the Special Narcotics Prosecutor, we put an end to that. They shouldn't be celebrated, and the fact that uh, their music is celebrated and the so-called dance that they created, I would hope that those that emulate it understand what the source of it is. Mindless thugs who have uh, no conception of value of life, no conception of morals.
2: The NYPD had arrested 15 members of GS9, including Bobby, his brother Fame, Ratty Rebel, and Fetty Luciano. Some of the crimes they were charged with happened after Bobby was signed to Epic. Prosecutors claimed GS9 and the gang G-Stone Crips, they were one and the same. There was no distinction.
3: And the cops used a controversial tactic to take down GS9, one that was designed to be used against mafia and white-collar criminals. They charged everyone with conspiracy, which makes every member complicit in the worst crimes, including murder. And remember when Bobby talked about GS9 as family and said when one of us goes down, we all go? Well, the police used that same loyalty to build the case against him.
2: While most of the members of GS9 had bail set around $500,000 or less, Bobby was looking at a bail amount of $2 million. Clearly, this meant prosecutors saw Bobby as the big fish in the case. Shaw knew it was critical to get Bobby out on bail.
4: I work for a label. This, they just invested in him. I'm thinking that, if anything, they'll be able to recoup something. And they have policies. It's a corporation. I don't know this shit. I'm used to 50 and G-Unit and us going bailing them out. I'm not in that position right now. It's not my artist. I just signed them. I just work here. His bail is five times my salary, right? So
3: what am I going to do? And when Shaw says there really wasn't much he could do, he's right. Shaw ran G-Unit Records with 50 Cent, but in Bobby's case, Shaw just signed him to Epic. He didn't own the keys to the bank. No one got through.
4: That's what the public don't know. My guys tried it a certain way, it didn't go through. Other people tried a certain way, it didn't go through. So my, in my eyes, they weren't allowing him to get bail.
3: And the reason bail was so important is because it's hard to mount a defense when you're behind bars. Plus, it increases the pressure to just plead guilty instead of waiting for a trial. Did you feel like to some extent, Epic let Bobby down? Absolutely.
4: Absolutely. The way they kind of just silenced me, the way they silenced everything, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right.
2: Fans thought that Epic should have bailed Bobby out, too. I remember I was at a concert in New York around this time, and 50 Cent, he hopped on stage to call out Sean Money by name for not bailing out GS9. And he did it while his DJ was firing shots in the background. Not literally, but you'll hear what I mean.
4: I ain't like Shaw Money. Shaw Money got Bobby is still in the joint. They left. They left the niggas in the jailhouse. The whole GS9.
3: But it wasn't just 50 Cent. I mean, this whole time, Shaw was blaming himself too, right? Because he felt like he wasn't able to save Bobby, and this was a big blow for Shaw. Cause remember, this was his way to pull cats out of the streets, and now. He sees Bobby behind bars, on his watch. He felt helpless. I don't know what was going
4: on with me. Some people call it depression, but I'm from the hood, so I just started smoking extra blunts, man. I was fucking pissed, man.
2: It was a Catch-22. It was Bobby's authenticity and loyalty to his crew that made Shaw sign him in the first place. But now that his loyalty got him caught up in the law, the label that was so ready to capitalize off his street cred didn't have his back.
4: You brought me there to make it hot. Here
3: I am making it hot, and we can't take the temperature because it's too hot. Mm, too hot. Now, Shah's boss, L.A. Reid, he gave a rare statement about Bobby on the podcast Rap Radar back in 2015. When I heard him, I believed him. Mm. That's, what, that's what sold me. It, it felt soulful.
6: It didn't feel like someone was play acting, and it, it felt really believable,
3: and I guess it was. Yeah, he said it was a business decision not to bail Bobby out. He admitted it just didn't make financial sense for the label. Bobby Schmurter is not the same as Snoop Dogg and Murder Was the Case, who was
6: coming off the Career-wise, Chronic yeah, and, and, and his first album. This is a different era, and we're a publicly held corporation. We just aren't in the same position we
3: were in back in those days. Yeah, but for Shy Money, man, this wasn't just a business transaction. He felt responsible for Bobby. And Shy ended up paying a heavy price too, one that forever changed how he views the industry. I got let
4: go in April, so I didn't have a job. So it was like, all right, but I don't want a job no more. What I'm going to do? Sign another artist to the label and tell them we got you and we don't? I don't want to do this no more. So I, that became the thing. I don't want to sign artists to labels because the label don't even got my back. How the fuck am I going to tell artists I got your back?
2: We reached out to Epic Records for comment on Shaw's firing, but they declined. Shaw says he hasn't heard from L.A. Reid since. He doesn't blame him, but he's never worked directly for a major label since either. After all that went down, Shaw went back on his independent grind.
3: Yeah, and as for Shaw and Bobby, they would keep in contact. But there was just no way Shaw could protect Bobby from what Bobby was about to go through. In our next episode, we dig into the crimes of GS-9 and look at how they affected one family in particular. And we consider the reasons why trauma doesn't care about labels like victim and perpetrator.
7: He's making other people think that this is okay. That you can kill someone, then turn around, put it in the song, and blow up off of that. So it's not a party song for me. It's a reminder of what they did.
3: This episode was written by me, Sydney Madden, Dustin DeSoto, Adelina Lancianese, and Michael May.
2: Michael May also edited this one with help from Chiquita Pascal. It was produced by Dustin DeSoto and Adelina Lancianese. with help from Matt Ozug and Sam Leeds. Josh Newell is our engineer.
3: Senior supervising producers are Rachel Neal and Nadri Eaton.
2: And shout out to the bigwigs: Steve Nelson, Lauren Anki, and Anya Grunman.
3: Original music by Casa Overall.
2: Our digital editor is Jacob Gans. Our fact checkers are Will Chase and Nicolette Kahn. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Louder Than a Riot. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to follow along with the music you heard in this episode, check out the Louder Than a Riot playlist on Apple Music and Spotify Now. We'll update those each week for you. And if you want to email us, it's louder at npr.org.
3: from NPR Music this has been louder than a
8: riot This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp
0: When you're carrying around a lot of stress therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest If you're considering therapy give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com/npr to get 10% off your first month the news can be disorienting and it can be really hard to remember how we got here. That's why we started the Throughline podcast. Every week we take you on a cinematic trip into the past to better understand the present. Listen now to the Throughline podcast from NPR.
1: NPR's editorial independence and integrity is non-negotiable. It's the reason why so many listen to 1A's Friday News Roundup. You'll get analysis and insight from the world's best correspondents. Listen to 1A's Friday News Roundup, only from NPR.